Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Aren't you glad you came to church today? I am. Continue to pray for all those who are sick. I know many in our church family have uh, cold and flu. My entire family's out on Lori's side, on my side. Uh, my parents and brother and such are here, but I know it's spreading around a lot. So uh, I want to start off with praying for those who are sick. If you guys will join me. Father, we just come before you and we realize that a lot of people are sick. And we know that you're the great physician who heals and who does a work. So, Father, we just want to take a moment to start off the ministry of the Word with praying for those who are sick. For those who have the flu and are out, that you would just heal their bodies. For those who have other symptoms of the winter season, Lord, that you would touch them. Father, now as we look into your Word, speak to our hearts. Help us be forever changed. And we pray that as we look into the Word of God, that Jesus would be lifted up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to be in Luke chapter 2. For those of you who are just joining us, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke really since December. And really excited to go through this entire Gospel. And there's a lot of treasures in Luke. A lot of, a lot of things that um, will help us really get to understand Jesus more. I was reading a story about an old recluse. And he lived in the deep mountains of Colorado. And one day his time came where he passed away, and he had distant relatives that lived quite a distance away, so they came, and they went and saw his old little shack, and inside the shack there was a rock fireplace, an old cooking pot, some mining equipment, and he had an old outhouse beside it. And they didn't see a lot of valuables. There was a cracked table with a three-legged chair, there was a kerosene lamp. Uh, lightly burning. There, there just wasn't a lot there. So they got what possessions they could and they decided to go on back to their journey back home. And as they were leaving in their car, uh, there was a man on a donkey that flagged them down. It was a friend of the, the recluse, one of his only friends that, that came around him. And he said, do you mind if I go back and get whatever possessions are remaining? And the family thought, well, there's really nothing there, so you can have whatever's left. So the old man uh, got his, his donkey and went, went back to the old cabin. And under the friend's table where the kerosene lantern was, he pulled open a board. And he found gold that his friend had been mining over the past 53 years. Enough gold to build a palace, as the story go, goes. And as the, the friend saw the, the company, the family pull away and the dust of the tires in the air... He said they really should have got to know their family member better. They didn't realize what was there in, in, in the little shack. And as I read that story, I was thinking about Jesus. There's so much there about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we will just uncover some of the mysteries of his life, and many of them are not mysteries, they're right there in the Scripture. But from his birth to his childhood. Have you ever thought about Jesus as a teenager? How many of you have teenagers in your life? I mean, you know teenage years is uh, very interesting. But the Bible does give us hints and clues about Jesus. Um, so today we're going to talk about his childhood, how Jesus uh, was just like any other child as a human, but he, he also was God at the same time. So there's quite 
There's some human side of it, but there's some miraculous side. So a little, little preview, if you have your listening guides. We're going to talk about the childhood of Jesus. And as Jesus is being dedicated at the temple, uh, there's some interesting characters that emerge. Some people that we don't know a whole lot about, but people who are waiting for the Messiah. And when they laid their eyes on Jesus, some miraculous things happened. So how many of you are ready to take a journey in God's word? Say amen. All right, that being said, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now listen to the description of Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. And look at the reaction of Jesus' parents in verse 33. And Joseph and his mother Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of so many in Israel, And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And then there appears Anna on the scene. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanael, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. So before we read the next verse, this is basically a few different ways to translate this. She was married for seven years, then her husband died, and either at this point she was 84, or it could also be translated she had lived as a widow for 84 years. So either she was perhaps 84 or 104. Regardless, she was very up there in years. And it says this woman, verse 37, was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, And the grace of God was upon him. May God bless his word. So here we have the narrative of Jesus as a child. 
And at this point, they're dedicating Jesus. Perhaps he's around 40 days old. And um, there's, there's different things that are happening here. But I, what I want to do is take you guys into this picture of Christ and how he made an impact upon people even as a young baby. Um, it's quite amazing. So as Luke writes these accounts of, of the birth of Christ and his childhood, um, he's writing this historical document of a miraculous event. He's given us accurate history that actually happened. So I want us to go back on a journey almost 2,000 years ago and look at Jesus. So let's jump into the message. What can we learn about the childhood of Jesus? The first point is this. Jesus' parents dedicated him to the Lord and brought him up in God's ways. So in this scripture, we have three Jewish ceremonies that are taking place. The first one is the ceremony of circumcision. This would happen to a Jewish boy. Does anybody know on which day? The eighth day. And so this was a sign of a Jew's commitment to God. It was an outward symbol of an inward commitment to God. So every time a Jewish boy was circumcised, that was the parent's way of saying, we're going to raise him up in the ways of the Lord. It was a symbol of the old covenant. So Jesus was circumcised just like every other Jewish male that were following the Lord. The second ceremony is the purification ceremony. This is something the mother would go through. And there were different lengths of days on purification if you had a a girl, child, or a boy. But basically, this ceremony would take place. And there there would be an extended period of time where a woman would purify herself. And this would make her um, ceremonial clean to worship. This is the way it was done in the Old Testament. So Mary went through that whole process. And the presentation was a third ceremony. Presentation or dedication. So whenever the child would be presented to the Lord... This would be held in the temple after at least 30 days. And it represented the fact that the parents were going to raise this child up in the Lord. And you guys see this even today with dedication services, where we bring up a child and we carry the same tradition. We dedicate the baby, and we don't necessarily do it at a certain length, like 30 or 40 days, but we do it whenever the parents are ready to say, we're going to bring this child up in the ways of the Lord. So we keep that ceremony going. And you notice in the Scripture... It says that the the circumcision ceremony, they named him what? Jesus. And it said that's the name the angel gave. You ever wonder about the significance of a name? The name Jesus basically means God saves or Savior. So I want you to think about it. Jesus is a child. Whenever he was growing up, and I don't know what the school system was like, but could you imagine Jesus with his schoolmates Every time they said Jesus, they were saying God saves. So God saves. Why don't you come over here and play? God saves. Why don't you submit your assignment? Every time they said Jesus, which is the Old Testament equivalent of Joshua, they were saying God saves. There's something special in a name. And I think, obviously, God intended that because Jesus' mission was to do what? To save the world. To seek and to save that which is lost. But isn't this the picture of the Christian life, where you see the parents dedicating the Lord? Now, I was thinking through how this is interesting. God gave His one and only Son, and we use the word Son to symbolize the relationship between the Father and the Son, because Jesus is the eternal. So a lot of times we think of Son, you think of born, but no, Jesus is the eternal Son. He's been forever. He, uh, the, the eternal Son of God has no beginning, no ending. He's eternal. But the Son of God was dedicated And God brought him down to earth through Christmas, through the virgin birth, the birth of Christ. 
So now you have Joseph who is dedicating the Son of God, and he's the kind of uh, the guardian father, not the real father of Jesus. So you have the earthly father dedicating Jesus, who is the Son of God, back to the heavenly father. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Whenever God makes us new inside, our response should be to dedicate ourselves back to God. And I think the dedication here just encourages us that, listen, if God has given you new life, your only response is to surrender all to Him. In the Jewish culture, they would dedicate the firstborn son. That was part of the culture. And that had to go back to the Feast of Passover where, you remember the story about the plagues and that the blood was on the door, they would pass over. And because of that, after that happened, they would dedicate the firstborn to the Lord. And notice that the earthly parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, um, they, they gave an offering as part of this presentation ceremony. You notice it was either two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree, right? No. Um, two turtle doves, or it could be, um, they, they could bring something more like, you know, it's pigeons. But, you know, the, the actual offering, this was considered the offering of the poor. Because generally you bring a lamb or something, you know, far more significant. So at this point, Jesus' parents, you can say, they're bringing the offering of the poor. So they didn't have great means. So that, for those of you who are Bible students, it gives you one clue. The wise men had not come yet. Because if they had bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they wouldn't have to present two turtle doves. They would have been able to present a lamb or something far more significant. So that's a little side note. So I think for those of you who are parents and grandparents, we can learn something from Jesus' earthly parents. That they dedicated him to the Lord, even though he was God's child. I mean, how can this child go wrong? He's the son of God. He's been prophesied that he's the Savior, all this stuff, but yet they still dedicated him. So I think in today's culture, we need to dedicate our children and grandchildren even more so because we live in such a a chaotic world that needs godly parents and godly grandparents. Amen? So you have Jesus' parents dedicating him to the Lord. Number two, Simeon emerges on the scene. Simeon is a picture of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And um, look at verse 25. I just want to read this to you because it's so fascinating, this. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now look at the description of Simeon. He was just and devout. So he was, he was dedicated and devoted. So this, this kind of gives you the picture of someone that is willing to surrender the totality of themselves to God. I was reminded of a story, um, many of you are familiar with D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist back in the day. This is in the 1800s. It was in 1873. D.L. Moody heard this famous evangelist by the name of Henry Barley. And they were having like an all-night prayer meeting. Anybody ever been involved in like an all-night prayer meeting? You don't see this very much, but back in the day, um, they would, I mean, I, when I read stories of church history, I'm like, wow, they had an all-night prayer meeting. It's hard enough to get Baptists just to come to Wednesday night prayer meeting, much less an all-night prayer meeting. So they were having this all-night prayer meeting. And the evangelist Varley, I'm going to read the words, he said, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through in a man who is fully and wholly committed to him. After D.L. Moody heard those words, he blurted out verbally, I'm going to be that man. And he said whenever he got on the boat and crossed the Atlantic, every deck he saw, everywhere his eyes laid on, according to his story, 
were engraved with these words, the, the Lord is yet to see what God will do in and for and through a man who's fully devoted to him. He kept seeing that on the stones. And his life represented someone that was completely surrendered. So when I think of Simeon, I think of that. You think about his character, just and devout. He was waiting for the coming Messiah. Now when you read through Old Testament scriptures, and you read passages like Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, when you read about Psalm 22, when you read Deuteronomy, I believe it's 1815, somewhere in there, where it talks about another prophet will come, like me, Moses said. All these scriptures point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So people who were reading the Old Testament scriptures, people who were going to the synagogue or the temple and hearing the scriptures read and they were listening, they were awaiting the Messiah. And whenever Simeon comes to the temple, something unforgettable happened. The Lord showed him that this little baby that's being presented to the Lord is the Messiah. For all the gentlemen who have uh, checked out, I'm going to tell you a story that will hopefully check you in. It's a football story. Any uh, Saints fans in here, New Orleans Saints? I didn't think so. Well, (laughs) I'm not going to call out all the teams because we get all the guys going. Well, this is uh, a Drew Brees story. Sorry, New Orleans Saints fans this year. But in 2010, he had an unforgettable moment where he won the Super Bowl. And uh, some of you may remember when the Saints won. It's been a few years. So he had his little son there, his little son. And um, according to his account, he's basically talking to his son and said, you know, we did it, son. We did it. And he was telling his son how much he loved him. And he said, for that moment, it's almost like the whole world froze. He, his son, and he had this amazing moment. His mother had went on. He said to the heaven, he felt like his mother was looking down. And he's like, in that moment, me winning the Super Bowl, my little son, and the excitement that will be forever embedded on my heart. And as I think about that football moment, thank you guys for tuning back in, um, don't you think that's what kind of Simeon felt when he saw the Messiah? He had been waiting all of his life, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit directs him and says, this is the long-awaited Savior, this is the Messiah. And something about this is interesting, I was thinking about this um, recently, we talked about Christmas, how scholars talk about the silent years where we don't hear a word from God for, what, over 400 years, from Malachi to when Matthew appears to the scene. And I was thinking about, it's interesting that we don't have any recorded word, but Simeon is an example of how God was still speaking to people. Because you notice, what did the Holy Spirit reveal to him? He wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. So I think sometimes we've got to be careful when we say the silent years Because just because we don't have a recorded word from God doesn't mean God wasn't still speaking to believers. And even today, the New Testament's closed, but doesn't God still speak to us through the Holy Spirit? I think sometimes in Baptist churches we miss that. But three examples of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, if you're taking notes. He told him about the timing of the Messiah, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Wouldn't that be cool if we wouldn't die if the Lord came back? I mean, I would love that. Um, God's not told me that. Um, but I would love it if, if, if we got to see the second coming of the Lord and we never had to die. How many of you would sign up for that? The Lord's second coming. The Holy Spirit also told him to come to the temple. So you see this man, it's his very, in the Old Testament, it's very unique. The Holy Spirit would come on people for certain times and places. And, you know, you think about Samson and his strength. But Simeon was a guy 
the Spirit was leading him. And it's just like, this is before Pentecost. This is before the book of Acts. And this is a man that's being led by the Spirit. So the Lord tells him about the coming Messiah. He tells him to come into the temple. It was at the right place at the right time. And then the Holy Spirit had to tell him, this is the Messiah. So you have three examples of God speaking to him. So it brings up a question by personal application. Does God still speak today? A lot of times you think in churches, well, God spoke to these people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, but does God ever speak to us? What do you guys think? He should, right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it's necessary for me to go away because I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to teach you all things. So if you look at your listening guide, I give you five practical applications of this, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. The first one is this. God still speaks to us today through the Holy Spirit, as we just mentioned. So if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The thing is, the Holy Spirit will talk to you, but you have to be listening. Your life has to be in tune with His station. So example, if I turn my back on God and run away from Him, if I backslide, you know, God, the first thing He's going to tell me most likely is, I want you back. He wants us to walk in Him, walk in faithfulness. So if you're not hearing from God, the first question you're going to ask, am I right with God? Is everything right between me and the Savior? Number two, the Holy Spirit often speaks in a still, small voice in our heart, that is, in our minds. So a lot of times, if you are so B-U-S-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you're busy, busy, busy. I could be a cheerleader, right? B-U-S-Y, you ain't got no alibi. Um, you know, if you're just so busy, and there's so much noise, I mean, think about it. You know, you get up. What's the first thing you do? You turn on the TV. You're watching news. You're in your car. What's the, what, some of you are listening to talk radio. God bless you, right? Some of, every, there's noise, noise, noise all day long. When do you ever have solitude and quiet? So maybe God is speaking to you, but you're just so distracted that you don't hear. And somebody said, ouch. Number three, third application of this. The Holy Spirit will always point us towards Christ. And will never contradict God's word. So, people have said, well, God's told me to leave my spouse because he just wants me to be happy. Well, is that in the Bible? No. That's not God. That's the flesh telling you something. That's not God. So, whatever, whatever you believe God is speaking to you, you've got to go back to the Bible and see if it matches up. God will never contradict himself. God doesn't stutter, nor does he contradict. What he, what he says, it, it, it doesn't change. Number four... God speaks to us through giving us peace about certain decisions. So this is the peace test. If you do not have peace about it, why are you still doing it? God will give you a peace that passes all understanding. It says in Philippians, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. With prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving. And it says the peace of God will transcend It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So think about that. God gives peace. Number five, in difficult decisions, times of prayer and fasting often precede God's voice. And this is something in Baptist churches we often do not talk about as fasting. If you read through the New Testament, you will see fasting often. And why do people fast? Often it was in times of decision making, times when God was doing something. And I commend all the people we did recently did a Daniel fast for those who are just joining us. And we had a group of the church praying and fasting. And we weren't just doing it just to be doing it, but we were praying to draw closer to God. 
We were praying for big decisions coming up. You see that in the early church. Whenever they were sending out someone on a missionary journey or doing something, often they would pray fast and lay hands on them. So that's why we're doing it, for asking for God's wisdom for this year. Because we don't claim to know the answers, right? We don't claim to have all guidance, but we do know the Lord. We do believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen? So something before we go on in, in verse 32, it talks about a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Before we move on, I want to hit this scripture that don't you find it fascinating that Luke, who we believe is a Gentile, the only Gentile author in the New Testament, he highlights the work of God in the Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish. In other words, Jesus is a savior for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And that's just that's so amazing to think about. His name is Jesus, which means God saves. And it's not just he saves the people group. He saves anyone that's willing to call upon his name. Can I get an uh-huh? All right, you guys are awake. Number three, what can we learn about Jesus' childhood? Jesus' early days produce awe and wonder in those closest to him. Look at verse 33. I love verse 33. It says, Joseph and his mother. Notice it says Joseph. It doesn't say Jesus' dad. Why is that? Because Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. He was his adopted father, if you will. The virgin birth incarnation. And Mary, his mother, marveled at those things which were spoken to him. So notice that... Mary and Joseph marvel. Marvel is the expression of, I can't believe this is happening. This is just so mind-boggling. You know, it's funny. I'll, uh, sometimes in coffee shops I'll hear people talking, and you'll, you'll hear different wishes and things that people want. You know, some people wish that, what is it, the publisher clearinghouse will show up at their house. Have you ever heard people talking about that? What if they had that big check that's like this long, and you've just won $100 million. Wouldn't that create some wonder, like, oh my, are you serious? Oh my goodness, I just want to, I mean, but you think about the things of God, that that should create so much more awe and wonder than any material thing, because people can run through money, right? People can run through homes. Those things come and go, but a relationship with God can last forever. And those closest to Jesus were marveling, like, wow. This is a child that's truly different, truly special. Um, Louis Palau, the evangelist, tells a story about this wealthy European couple. They had decided that they wanted to dedicate their newborn baby to the Lord. So they, they invited all the people over to their estate, their mansion. So they, they were taking all the people into this coat room, and they were laying all the stuff on this bed. It was this designer bed. Sure, it had really nice sheets. So as the people went into the room to lay their coat on the bed, they were just ooh and aahing about the room, how beautiful it was, and they were just looking around. They weren't even paying attention to where they were throwing their jacket. So the time came to honor this child that they were dedicating to the Lord. There was just one problem. They couldn't find the baby anywhere. They're like, do you have the baby? No, where's the baby? My wife would be a little upset at this point if I had lost the baby. So they were looking around, couldn't find the baby Finally, they, they started, oh my goodness, we think the baby was left in the room where the coats are. So they went back and they started unpiling all the coats. And sure enough, the baby was under the pile of coats. Almost died, but it survived. And it's, if you think about that, sometimes we bury Jesus with busyness, with their traditions, with, with good things like family, work life, all these things. 
And sometimes we lose the awe and wonder of who Jesus is. Is Jesus buried in your life? Yeah, he's there. But have you buried him with baggage? Have you put on your own traditions, your own culture, so that Jesus is there, but it's hard to see the real Jesus? If that's the case, then getting back to the Gospel of Luke will be helpful because it'll help us discover the real Jesus, not the Jesus of our own heads, but who was the real Jesus. So if you've ever struggled with the awe and the wonder of Jesus, of who he is, if you look at your listening guide, I have three simple tips how to rediscover the awe and wonder. As I like to say, going back to the time when you first got saved, the first time you made a decision for Christ. First one is this, remember when you were first made new. Do you remember the day that you asked Jesus into your life? The day that you prayed the prayer of salvation, Jesus, come into my life. Do you remember the excitement that followed that? Do you remember the life change? Number two, reflect on the beauty and majesty of King Jesus. He is so beautiful. And if you will just get one glimpse, as the hymn says, into the wonder of his face, it's just, it's so glorious. It's like the old George Beverly Shea song my parents love. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold. If you just get one glimpse into him, the beauty, it changes everything. Number three, rise up each day to worship the one who is worthy of all praise. Sometimes Jesus is right there. We're so got our schedule. We've got so much going on that we're not willing to take 15 minutes in the morning and say, Jesus, before I go to work, before I turn on the TV, my heart is yours. That will help us if we just practice these three very simple steps to rediscover the awe and the wonder of Christ. Can I get an uh-huh? Number four, following Jesus is a mixture of blessing and challenges. Look at verse 34. It says, Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So here's the picture. Mary and Joseph are so excited. They're in awe and wonder. They've been blessed. Simeon just said, This child is amazing. All this is going to happen. But then there's the challenge. He said, By the way, especially you, Mary, there's going to be a sword that's going to pierce your soul. And in the original language, it's quite a graphic picture. It's the idea of a large sword slicing someone's soul. So can you imagine, ladies, being the mother, and one day your son is going to be killed? Can you imagine? Yes, he's Savior, but for him to save people, he has to die. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the emotion Mary felt? I can't even picture any of my children dying. Um, I just, I can't imagine. Especially, you think about it so young, perhaps 40 days old, somewhere in that ballpark, um, that young and already knowing that your child is going to experience suffering. I mean, couldn't you have waited to tell me this later on? I mean, why this soon? Jesus had a mission from God and he had to fulfill it. Notice it says that falling and rising of many in Israel... Christ raises up those who believe in him, but for those who reject him, the scripture says he becomes a stumbling block. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're, you're either on one side of Christ or the other. You either accept him or reject him. There's no neutral ground. A lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make a decision. I'm just going to be neutral. Well, you can't be neutral. You're either going to follow Christ and he's going to lift you up, 
or you're going to reject him or not make a decision at all, and then it becomes a stumbling block. Number five, we see Anna here. Anna is a picture of sacrificial worship. Now you notice it says Anna, what was her job, occupation? A prophetess. And this is in the New Testament. So it brings up the whole dilemma, what about women doing ministry? Well, let's, let's discover a role of prophet or prophetess. A prophet in the Bible or a prophetess, the role was twofold. To foretell or to foretell. The majority of the role was to foretell, which means to declare God's message with authority and passion. So here you had a woman. And where does it say she hung out at? The temple. Day and night, proclaiming God's message. So here's the thing, not to get on side issues or whatever, but just using the New Testament and Old Testament, God has used women for ministry throughout Old and New Testament. Amen. In fact, if you look at your listening guide, in the Old Testament there's five prophets mentioned, including Miriam, Deborah, and so on. There's five prophets. And by the way, in the New Testament there's also five prophets. You have Anna here and you have Philip the evangelist had four daughters who prophesied. So here's the thing. God's going to use men and women to proclaim his message. And just by personal testimony, some of the most impactful messages that I've been a part of is when I brought my wife with me and we've done a combined message. And people are like, she's a much better speaker than you are. I'm like, well, thank you. It's just people enjoy um, hearing from a different perspective sometimes. So God wants us to use us all. So back to Anna. Obviously, she was a prophetess. But you see that she had so much resilience. And I want to talk to the ladies for a moment. Imagine if you married the man of your dreams and you just, everything was going great and you were planning to have a family and all this was going swell. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning and your husband next to you is dead. And you're just like, we've only been married seven years and he's young and all of a sudden he's dead now. And, you know, a lot of people would have, given up. A lot of people would have got depressed. I mean, you can imagine the proverbial, well, life, life's been hard. I'm just going to sit down and watch the Hebrew Channel station and eat bonbons and forget about life. It's been hard. But you notice Anna didn't do that. She didn't sit around eating bonbons. She said, you know what? God has taken away and he has his own reasons. And I'm sure she went through her time of mourning But you know what? Instead of sitting down, she got up and she got with it. And it said basically every time the doors were open at the church, she was there. Because now she doesn't have any other responsibilities, just her and God. So what we can learn from Anna, obviously, is there's many spiritual things, but she was resilient. And when life throws you a curveball, when life gets hard, don't stay down. It's okay to be down for a little while. You have to mourn, you have to grieve, you have to go through the process. But don't stay there. Look at Anna. She got up. And you notice that it said that she was a widow until at least age 84. So you have all these years of serving God, even though life is hard. Sometimes when you think when life throws you a curveball, you've got to be faithful. Now I want to give you a definition of faithfulness I heard recently that really stuck with me. And I want you guys to write this down. Faithfulness is the long journey of long obedience in the same direction. I'll say that again. Faithfulness is the long journey of long obedience in the same direction. So think about that. Faithfulness. 
this long journey of being obedient in the same direction. She just kept going. She didn't give up on God. And finally, number six, as we conclude this, Jesus and his childhood. So many more things we could say. But his childhood was characterized by holistic growth. Holistic growth. Verse 39, it says that when they performed all these things, according to the law of the Lord, they went to Galilee, their own city of Nazareth. And it says the child, Jesus, he grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So really, I look at three basic areas that Jesus grew. The first one is physical. It says that he was strong in spirit. Jesus became strong. Every parent, every every grandparent wants their child or grandchild. It's great to be a child, but you want them to grow. You don't want them to stay little. Sometimes I want my kids to stay little. But you want them to grow, right? And that's part of growth is they progress. We see intellectual and social skills. Jesus was characterized by wisdom. Now, wisdom is having knowledge and knowing how to use it, applied knowledge. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. It's knowing how to relate to God and how to relate to people. So you might say that this is IQ and EQ. This is intelligence, but it's also emotional intelligence. How many of you met some people that were intelligent, but they didn't know how to connect with people? Wisdom is seeing life in such a way that you know how to relate to God, you know how to relate to people. And finally, spiritual. It says he thrived in God's grace. So on your listening guide, this is for you to take home and look at later. But how are you doing in these areas? Uh, Physical. This is just a description of what we'd think. I'm eating healthy. Ouch. Exercising. Striving the best health possible for my age. Now some of you, it's not possible to do some of those things because you're age. But for your age category, are you doing your best physically? Intellectual. Are you continuing to learn? Continuing to grow? Is that something part of your development? Or have you said, I read enough books in college, I'm done with it. If Jesus grew in these areas, shouldn't we? And also spiritually, are you having a daily time with God that's vibrant? Is your relationship with Jesus growing or is it stagnant? So you can kind of score yourself on a one to five and to see where you're at. So just to cast a little vision for the church, I believe that every healthy church is a holistic church. We care about the whole person. Obviously, the, the spiritual is the most important, their eternal destination. But Jesus is concerned about the physical, too. He's concerned about the social and emotional, financial, every area of your life. Holistic growth means you're becoming more like God. You're using His wisdom and His Word to grow in these areas. Amen? So today, we talked about the childhood of Jesus. We talked about His parents. They dedicated Him and brought Him up to God's ways. For those of you who have kids and grandkids, are you dedicating them each day to the Lord? We talked about Simeon. He was a picture of a fully devoted follower of Christ. He was all in for for Jesus. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. We talked about Jesus' early days produced awe and wonder to those closest to Him. Have you lost the awe? Have you lost the wonder? Or are you still mesmerized in the person of Jesus? Following Jesus is a mixture of blessings and challenges. Some of you are going through challenges right now. But just know that the broken road that you're on, God will make straight one day. The path that seems rocky, He knows how to smooth it out. He doesn't promise us life is going to be full of roses. But He did say He would be with us in the midst of all the thorns. We see Anna, a picture of sacrificial worship. 
And that's a beautiful picture of how she dedicated herself. And that God wants to use women and men to minister and to help people change lives. And we see Jesus' childhood was characterized by holistic growth. So the application to you is how are you doing these areas? Are you dedicated to Christ? Are you involved in sacrificial service of Him? Or are you living in the land of Nod? Have you lost the awe and wonder? So my challenge for you today, just a little homework assignment. Take 15 minutes each morning. Some of you may already do this. But worship the Lord. Fall in love with Him all over again. Because the more time you spend with Him, the more you love Him, and the more you love Him, the more your heart will just want to soar in dedication and service. To summarize the sentence, the sermon in a sentence, your take-home truth. How you respond to Jesus reveals your true heart. I hope we all respond in adoration and worship. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and true. And Father, as I read about Simeon and Anna and Jesus' parents, and even the, the, the model of Christ himself, I, I'm challenged, Lord. I want to be more devoted to you like Simeon. God, I want to be more sacrificial. And when life throws a curveball, I want to get up like Anna. I don't want to just sit there. I want to get up. I want to have resiliency. I want to have faithfulness, obedience in the same direction over a long period of time. Father, please help us. Right now with everyone in the spirit of prayer, I want to talk to the believers first. Would there be anyone here today, Arden first, that would say, Timothy, when you talked about Anna, when you talked about Simeon, when you talked about faithfulness, reclaiming the awe and the wonder, I want 2018 to be about that. I want to rediscover the awe and the wonder of Jesus. I want to serve Him like I never have before. I want to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me like never before. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand with you. Father, you see the hands lifted to the heavens. We believe in you. We want to grow in you. God, we don't want to bury Jesus in our lives. We want to, him to be sitting on the throne with no distractions, no baggage in our life. We want to surrender these things to you. God, you know we're imperfect. But when we do mess up, help us to confess that. Help us to surrender that to you. So we don't carry this day in and day out but so Jesus can sit on the throne of our hearts. Please forgive us. Please help us reclaim the awe and wonder of Christ. As the believers continue to pray, if there's one here today that you've never made the decision to surrender all of your life to Jesus, when we talk about surrender, we're saying that you believe Jesus is Lord, He's God, He died on the cross, He rose again, and you're willing to give your life to Christ. Just in your own words, pray a prayer of surrender. Something like, Dear Jesus, I realize that you're the Savior. You came to save the lost. And Jesus, I've never surrendered anything to you, much less my life. So Jesus, right now, I give you my heart and my soul. I give you my past, my present, my future. I pray that you would come into my life. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of all my sins and give me a new start and a new life. I make you my friend. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Help us be forever changed as we rediscover the awe and the wonder of Jesus. In his name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.